Good evening, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's Tuesday, October 22nd, and we thank you for tuning in. I'm Nick Savage. And I'm Andrew Eichen. Tonight, we bring you additional coverage on the Morrisville City Council candidates. In addition, we've got more with NC State graduate Kat Show, as well as an organization that aims to revolutionize how you travel. But first, here's Andrew with the news. The U.S. added 148,000 jobs in September, lower than the expected 180,000. Unemployment also fell 7.2%. The Department of Labor's release of these figures was delayed due to the government shutdown. In response to allegations by Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International that U.S. drone strikes in Yemen and Pakistan involved the unlawful killing of civilians, White House spokesman Jay Carney says the nation takes extraordinary care to ensure compliance with international law. In a report Tuesday, Amnesty said it reviewed nine of 45 recent drone strikes in North Warizistan and found a number of victims were unarmed. The parents of 12-year-old who shot a teacher dead and wounded two classmates before killing himself may be, face charging, may be facing charges for allowing a gun to fall into his hands. The unidentified boy opened fire at Sparks Middle School on Monday, killing math teacher and Afghan war veteran Michael Lansbury. The two wounded children are expected to recover. And that's local news. Thanks, Andrew. And now let's turn to Sydney for our international news highlights. Thanks, Nick. Wildfires aren't uncommon in Australia, but New South Wales, Australia's most populous state, has been facing some of the most destructive wildfires it's encountered yet. On Sunday, firefighters battled a blaze near the town of Lithgow that stretched along a 190-mile front. The fires have killed one man, destroyed 208 homes, and damaged another 122 since Thursday. The wildfires have been extraordinarily intense and early this year. The country's annual fire season peaks during the summer, which begins in December in the southern hemisphere. This year's unusually dry weather and hotter-than-average spring have led the perfect fire conditions. In February 2009, wildfires killed 173 people and destroyed more than 2,000 homes in Victoria State. In Iraq, violence has been increasing since the suppression of a Sunni protest in April. At least 385 have died in attacks in Iraq so far this month, according to an Associated Press count. On Sunday, a car, bomb ex- a car bomb in Baghdad killed at least 36 people and wounded 45 more. At least 55 people have been killed in a series of suicide explosions in Iraqi cities. The news agency AFP says Sunday's attacks brings the October death toll to more than 450, with over 5,150 killed since the beginning of the year. Despite public opposition, Despite public opposition, Montenegro, a small country in southeastern Europe, held its first gay pride parade in its capital of Podgorica. In an effort to show its commitment to human rights, the Balkan state's government allowed the march, along with a dispatch of 2,000 police officers to keep the peace. The march itself proved to be incident-free, but a few scuffles broke out between the opposers to same-sex marriage, resulting in the police subduing the counter-protesters with tear gas and other non-lethal means. Saturday, in the central Somalia town of Belitween, about 210 miles north of the capital, Mogadishu, a suicide bomber killed at least 14 people outside of a restaurant popular with Ethiopian and Somali troops. Fifteen people are confirmed dead, including the bomber, and another 34 were injured. Al-Shabaab, the al-Qaeda-allied Somali armed group behind the deadly Westgate Mall attack that killed and injured scores last month in Nairobi, Kenya, claim responsibility for Saturday's bombing. The World Health Organization, or WHO, on Thursday classified outdoor air pollution as a leading cause of cancer in humans. 
The IARC, or the International Agency for Research on Cancer, said a panel of top experts has found sufficient evidence that exposure to outdoor air pollution caused lung cancer and raised the risk of bladder cancer. IARC had previously deemed some of the components in air pollution, such as diesel fumes, to be carcinogens, but this is the first time it has classified air pollution in its entirety as cancer-causing. Although the composition of air pollution and levels of exposure can vary dramatically between locations, the agency said its conclusions applied to all regions of the globe. Air pollution also increases the risk of respiratory and heart disease. The predominant sources of outdoor air pollution are transport, emissions from factories and farms, power generation, and residential heating and cooking. A Lao Airlines plane flying in stormy weather crashed into the Mekong River in southern Laos Wednesday, killing all 49 people on board, among them nationals of 11 countries, including the United States, the Laotian government said. Southern Laos was affected by Typhoon Nari, which hit the region Tuesday, killing 13 people in the Philippines and five in Vietnam. Vestiges of the storm are suspected to have caused the plane to crash. A passenger manifest faxed by the airline listed 44 passengers, 17 Laotians, 7 French, 5 Australians, 5 Thais, 3 Koreans, 2 Vietnamese, and one person each from Canada, China, Malaysia, Taiwan, and the United States. The Laotian Transport Ministry statement said that the crash is being investigated and to date have found the bodies of 39 passengers and have been able to identify 14. On Wednesday, Typhoon Weepa hit, a to- hit the Tokyo region, leaving most of the wreckage on one small island, but largely sparing the capital. At least 13 people were killed and over 30 are reported missing, with nearly 20,000 people ordered to evacuate and hundreds of airline flights canceled. Typhoon Weepa is the strongest storm to approach eastern Japan since October 2004. The cyclone that year triggered floods and landslides that killed almost 100 people, forced thousands from their homes, and caused billions of dollars in damage. An international conference aimed at ending Syria's two-and-a-half-year civil war will be held in Geneva now on November 23rd and 24th, according, according to an announcement by the Arab League chief on Sunday. However, it is unclear if any of Syria's opposition groups, which have become increasingly divided, will attend. The proposed conference will attempt to convince Syria's rival sides to agree on a transitional government based on a plan adopted in Geneva in June 2012. But the fate of the conference is up in the air, as Syria's fractured opposition has fought with an international community over how to best address the ongoing conflict, which has so far left 100,000 people dead and created more than 2 million refugees. Police and small groups of protesters clashed in Brazil's two biggest cities Tuesday night after the end of peaceful demonstrations demonstrations demanding better pay for teachers and affordable housing. As most demonstrators headed home in Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo, hundreds of masked members of the so-called Black Bloc anarchist group started hurling gasoline bombs, rocks, and bottles and pieces of wood at police who had accompanied the protest marchers. Police used tear gas and percussion grenades to disperse the violent activists. In Rio, police said about 4,000 demonstrators gathered in the city center to mark National Teachers Day and show their support for public school teachers who have been on strike for more than two months seeking higher pay. A bomb blast rocked a passenger bus in the southern Russia city of Volgograd on Monday, killing at least five people and injuring 17 others. The explosion was called by an unspecified explosive device, the National Anti-Terrorism Committee said in a statement. Interfax, a Russian news agency, reported that Russian intelligence officials believe it was caused by a female suicide bomber. Officials said the blast occurred around 2 p.m. On Sunday, Egyptian security forces fired birdshot shotgun shells and tear gas to disperse hundreds of students protesting against the government at Cairo's Al-Azhar University. 
Riot police used force in an attempt to prevent supporters of deposed President Mohamed Morsi from marching to Rabah al Adawiya Square, the site of a protest camp that was destroyed in a deadly crackdown by security forces two months ago. Authorities have cracked down on, act- on activities of the Muslim Brotherhood since a popular movement, backed by the country's military, ousted Mor- Morsi on July 3rd. The Brotherhood, Morsi's base of support, wants him reinstated as president. And that's been the week in the world. Back to you, Nick. Thanks, Sydney. It was a pretty gloomy out there today and with quite a bit of cloud cover. And unfortunately, meteorologist Katie Costa was not able to join us tonight and tell us how long the clouds will be sticking around for. But she did send her weathercast this way earlier today, so we can tell you what to expect over the next few days. Nick? Thanks, Andrew. Today we saw highs in the mid-60s with overcast skies, so it was pretty dark and dreary out there across the triangle. These cloudy conditions will continue into this evening with a chance of showers as a cold front passes through the region. Overnight tonight, lows will be in the lower 50s, so fairly mild for the most part and right about where we were last night. The rain will taper off and clouds will move out of the region by tomorrow morning, bringing mostly sunny skies back to the triangle with highs in the mid-60s. Now, even though the sun will be shining, don't let that fool you because temperatures will be dropping down into the upper 30s tomorrow evening. So if you have any plans outside on your patio, be sure to bring them inside and protect them if you can, because it's going to be frigid out there. Thursday morning will be a chilly one since we will wake up with temperatures at around 40 degrees, so you might want to think about grabbing a hot cocoa on your way out the door. By mid-afternoon Thursday, we'll finally reach a high of 60 degrees. Now, a second cold front is expected to pass through the region late Thursday, which will be bringing us even colder weather in the triangle. Thursday night, lows will be in the upper 30s once again with partly, with partly cloudy skies, so make sure you bundle up. Friday, we will slowly warm up to a high of 55 degrees with sunny skies, so it's a good idea to dress in layers since we will take some time to warm up, and before you know it, temperatures will be dropping even lower overnight Friday, with a low of 30 degrees. That's 2 degrees below freezing, which is extremely cold for this time of year, and just 3 degrees shy of Raleigh's 27-degree all-time record low back in 1962. Now this weekend, we will be sunny, but chilly. Highs will only be peaking into the upper 50s on Saturday, with lows in the upper 30s. Sunday will be a little warmer with highs climbing into the lower 60s, but still another cold night on Sunday with lows once again in the upper 30s. So overall, it looks like Wednesday's the nicest day to spend some time outside if you can, since highs will be in the mid-60s with plenty of sunshine. After Wednesday, we'll experience a very, a very different story. We will continue to see plenty of sunshine across the triangle Thursday through the weekend, but Jack Frost could very well try to nip at your nose since overnight lows will remain in the 30s. So be sure to pull out your heavy-duty winter jacket and be prepared. Thanks for tuning in for your weekly weather forecast, and thank you, Katie Costa, for sending us that script. And thank you, Nick. Now here's Ben with your Wolfpack Sports Update. The men's basketball team held their annual season-opening event this past Friday. The theme of primetime with the pack this year was military appreciation and saw the players' normal warm-up suits replaced with full military attire. The team held an inter-squad scrimmage in which the white team, led by sophomore point guard Tyler Lewis, was victorious over the red team 39-38. The next time that you will be able to see the Wolfpack men in action will be on October 30th at Reynolds Coliseum for a scrimmage against UNC Pembroke. The women's soccer team played two games at home this week against first-ranked Virginia and Syracuse. They lost a tough game 5-0 to the top-ranked Cavaliers, though they did keep it close in the first half, even had some legitimate scoring chances. Freshman striker Jackie Stingle scored her ninth goal of the season in a 2-1 double overtime loss to Syracuse. The two losses this week pushed the ladies' record to 6-11 and 11 on the season. Their next game will be this Thursday at Duke. The men's soccer team lost their only game of the week 2-1 to second-ranked Notre Dame. However, State did not go down without a fight, 
becoming only the second team this year to hold a lead over the Fighting Irish after Danny DePrima's first goal of the season. Unfortunately, the pack was not able to overcome two second-half goals by the Fighting Irish. The loss this week will give the men's soccer team a 4-4-4 record on the year. They will be on the pitch tonight to face off against Liberty. The volleyball team played two games in Virginia last week, losing to Virginia Tech 3-0 and then beating Virginia 3-0. Junior Darian Hopper recorded 13 kills to lead the Wolfpack against Virginia. The women's volleyball team is now ranked 4th in the ACC and 42nd nationally with a 15-5 record. They'll be playing again on October 25th against Pittsburgh. Both the men and women's cross-country teams competed in the Wisconsin Invitational recently, with the men placing 20th out of 37 teams and the women placing 23rd out of 35 teams. Andrew Colley had an outstanding individual performance, placing 3rd out of 244 runners with a time of 23 minutes and 16 seconds in an 8K race. Joanna Thompson led the women's team, finishing 17th, with a time of 20 minutes and 8 seconds in a 6K race. They will next be running on November 1st at the ACC Championships. The men and women's swimming and diving teams traveled to Virginia Tech for their first dual meet of the season last Saturday. The women's team beat the Hokies by a score of 171 to 129, and the men lost by a score of 185 to 113. The Wolfpack earned 11 individual titles along with four relay titles. On October 25th, the swimming and diving teams will travel to Tallahassee to face Florida State and Georgia Tech. If you'd like even more sports coverage, please tune in tomorrow night at 7 for Pulse of the Pack right here on WKNC. Thanks, Ben. Up next, one of our former students, a contestant on the reality TV show The Voice. We'll take a quick break and stick with us for the story. Welcome back. In just a few weeks, there are several elections taking place in Wake County. One in particular is the contest for the Morrisville City Council, and last week we brought you an interview with candidate Steve Rao. This week, Michaela sat down with Vinnie Gole. Here's their discussion. Here it says that you've been behind the scenes for about 25 years. Is there any way you can kind of expand on that? You do. I know that you worked on the Board of Architecture and the State Bar Council, and how did that did that kind of influence you to decide to run for Morrisville Council? Uh, basically, I have been involved in the community services as well as civic services uh, in North Carolina since I moved here in January 1992. Before that, I used to be in Maryland, and I was also active in Maryland doing similar services on the community side. When I came over here, I was uh, appointed by the governor of North Carolina, Jim Hunt, Jim Hunt at that time, and he appointed me on the Board of Architects because of my qualifications and experience as a board member. I served there for seven years, and then once I finished my terms, I went to a different board, which was North Carolina Film Council. I served on that at that time with Governor Mike Easley. I served there for almost a year or so, and then I wanted to move to a different board. The governor appointed me at that time to North Carolina State Bar, which basically controls all the attorneys in the entire state. And that looked to be pretty interesting for me because a lot of judges, a lot of politicians, a lot of attorneys, and everybody who served as a state license as a lawyer, they were involved in that. So I served there for two terms for eight years. Meanwhile, I was also involved in the local civic services. I used to live in Cary before. So in Cary, 
I was one of the founding board member of Kerry Economic Development Commission that was started back in the late 90s. I served on that for a few years and then they also started over their Kerry Community Foundation. I was also founding director of that community foundation. Served there for a few years. I'm still active in many of the activities in Kerry. And I moved to Morrisville in 2005 and when I moved to Morrisville, so Morrisville council members as well as public wanted me to be involved in community services over here in Morrisville. I was uh, appointed on a appearance committee. I served there for a short while and then a seat opened up on planning and zoning board. So they appointed me on the planning and zoning board and I have been serving on planning and zoning board for almost the uh, last 7 years and I have served there as a chairman of the board. I completed two terms as the chairman of the board. When the third term started, they wanted me to continue for the third term, but I am of the opinion that we should always open up the position for next person to come in and serve. So I volunteer to step down and let the next person and become the chairman and then I'm still active member of the board but I would like to come forward because a lot of council members and a lot of community leaders wanted me to come on the council as elected official so I can serve better So one of the things you're campaigning on is better infrastructure and improving the infrastructure in Morrisville. So is there anything that you can talk specifically about that you believe needs more attention or more funding in Morrisville in terms of infrastructure? I'm a professional civil engineer and I'm also consultant to federal state and local governments so one of my primary duties in that capacity is that I advise to the government on their infrastructure now infrastructure has lot of elements roads are one of them uh, water sewer drainage sidewalks all, all that stuff comes under infrastructure so water and sewer in morrisville is already controlled by the town of kerry but roads are partially some roads are state owned some roads are local government owned but they all need lot of improvement and lot of roads even have problems on the drainage side whenever we have some heavy rain storms several of the roads get completely shut down just because there is a flooding on the roads so there is lot of improvement required within the town to for the road widenings for the road improvements for the drainage we need lot of sidewalks we need bike paths we need trails and we need better parks so they are all part of the infrastructure and facilities that we need to improve and i know exactly how to make them the best possible solution for the residents and i will be working on those okay that sounds good i know that schools is a big thing going on in Morrisville because you have no high schools you have i don't know if you have any middle schools there you mm-hmm. only have a, an elementary school or two elementary schools mm-hmm. and you have to 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 travel to to carry or raleigh or other surrounding areas so with the school bond referendum passed is is there anything that you think that you could do if elected with that money to kind of help build other schools like I know that there is still like some spending money there that's not specifically meant for building a school. So is there anything there that you would like to improve? I'm already working on that. I have started looking at the schools I have served on Wake County school system, done at least more than 10 schools as a consultant, so I'm very familiar with how the whole process works in the Wake County on the school board school system. Most of the uh sites for the schools for middle and high schools are already selected by the school board and they have already made those decision unfortunately we don't have any proposed school right now for middle school or high school within town of morrisville but i would like to sit down and talk to the wake county school system members board members to ask them that 
how can we make something whether we can expand an existing elementary school to include a middle school as a next door neighbor to that or we can do something better so these decision can always be changed based on our working with the board and i will be working with the school board to to basically convince them that we need at least a middle school and a high school in town of morrisville so one thing that i read was that you are a small business owner and that you intend to kind of close the gap i guess between the private and public sectors through public and private partnership how do you intend to do that in morrisville as i said earlier that i am a professional engineer i am a consultant to the government and in lot of states including maryland washington dc virginia and north carolina i am working on some projects which are heavily focused on public private partnership so i would like to bring that concept in town of morrisville where town of morrisville only has 26 and a half million dollar budget which is a fairly small budget so in order to complete our wish list i would like to go forward with the private sector the the larger corporate world as well as industries to convince them that if they can come forward and adopt some projects together we can provide the land or other facilities or infrastructure and they can invest the money into into the building structure and possibly we can recognize them by naming either those facilities to them or something similar to like we had a sas soccer park in kheri and now it has become wakemed soccer park uh we have some other similar uh, concepts where if the private company or private investor comes forward and invest some money we can recognize them and do this kind of stuff we need lot of improvements in town parks and recreation is just one of them where we can use this public private partnership concept so one thing you mentioned was parks what exactly needs to be improved in the parks do you need to make it more kid friendly do you need more people to go there what exactly do you think needs to be improved in in the parks of morrisville well parks right now in morrisville are more of like a barren land or open land and we need to put over there either we had to put facilities like a, a volleyball courts or maybe soccer club with the soccer goals we may need to put some cricket lot of people in morrisville are having cricket fans so they they can be put cricket pitch over there we can also put tennis courts over there and some other clubhouse and other stuff so the the parks that we have right now just basically are the lands dedicated either by the developers or by the town to to have a future parks over there so we need to put some infrastructure and buildings into those parks to make them work for the children as well as for the residents to make them use so one thing that we stated before was that you are a small business owner and as a small business owner you said that there's it's very difficult to to run a business or to get a business started in in Mooresville what are some ways that you intend to to make it easier for small business owners in Mooresville because i'm not entirely sure of what it takes to run a small business but you do so can you tell me what exactly you intend to do to kind of make it easier as a small business owner in Mooresville great question i love this question and i tell you why because i have been involved not only as a small business owner as well as as a consultant to the government i have i was one of the founding director of kheri economic development commission where our goal was basically to to make our existing small businesses to sustain and thrive hassle free right now the approval process in morrisville is very extensive 
देर आर नो डिफाइंड गाइडलाइंस विच एच एन एस विच ए स्मॉल बिजनेस और ए डेवलपर हैज टू एडॉप्ट एंड सबमिट द प्लान एंड गेट दैम अप्रूव्ड इन ए शॉर्ट टाइम वी डोंट हैव एनी एक्सप्रेस रिव्यू प्लान प्रोजेक्ट प्रोसेस इन खेर इन मोरिसवेल वेर एज रॉले हैज एक्सप्रेस रिव्यू प्रोसेस आई वुड लाइक टू ब्रिंग दैट कॉन्सेप्ट वेयर यू सबमिट द प्लान यू मीट देयर चेक लिस्ट एंड देन यू कैन गेट द प्लान अप्रूव्ड इन इन कपल वीक्स नॉट इन नाइन टू ट्वेल्व मंथ्स right now lot of developers lot of businesses feel it's a moving target they submit the plans and they meet all the comments and then next list of comments come in i have been serving on the planning and zoning board for last 7 8 years and i have been hearing this all the time from the developers and the businesses that we are meet, we are doing everything we can but we are, our plans are not getting approved our process is not it's not that uh, they don't want to spend money they even want to pay extra money to to accelerate the review process so money is not currently the issue it is the time which they really lose in getting them approved there are a lot of regulations which probably rather than following them by stringent by by the book it should be a common sense laws which means do we really need this or it is we have to do it just because it's written in the book so i would like to improve that process So just out of curiosity what kind of businesses do you own? I have two small businesses. One is called A1 Consulting Group which is a consulting engineering firm working with the government as well as public sector and private sector. And the second business name is called Goals Plaza which is a uh, conference and banquet facility. It is one of the largest uh, banquet facility and the, probably the largest privately owned facility in the Eastern Carolina. I know that one big issue in Morrisville is transportation. There's only like one maybe two bus stops so is there anything that you plan on doing to kind of make it more extensive more connected to the triangle area is there anything that you can think of that you could possibly do or help plan to make this bus stop or the the transportation in Morrisville better well the mass transit is the best uh, scenario for public convenience but Morrisville being a smaller town with a horizontally spread out and as well as with limited budgets i don't think it can do on its own so what i would like to do is develop a partnership with the triangle transit authority which is tta as well as with the town of kerry which has a uh, its own uh, uh, bus facility over there and i would like to see if we can partner with those two and have some more uh, buses coming into morrisville because morrisville is so close to airport if we can develop some kind of a mass transit from airport to Morrisville and then going towards Durham as well as towards Cary and Raleigh we have also a long term plan for the for the train station but i think it will take some time which will be a great idea once it comes into picture so we have already dedicated a location for this train station at the intersection of uh, Chapel Hill Road and McCreeman Parkway so there will be some development coming up over there but it will at least it will take few years before it comes into reality Do you think something like this will help the small businesses and more so maybe attract more small businesses or help them be more successful? Well, if the train station comes to Morrisville, it will definitely improve uh facilities for the small businesses just because when the train station comes there will be more uh vertical structures coming up which means uh a highly dense uh population will be coming close to that which means either there will be apartments or there will be multi-use uh retail as well as residential community coming up so when those infrastructure and development will come it will definitely help to have more 
retail shops it will help uh, some construction industry it will also help uh, other businesses which are dependent on the transit as you can see that you're you're pretty successful so to get where you are now did you ever have to overcome any sort of prejudices or discrimination or anything like that any sort of obstacle at all to, to get where you are now when you come to a new culture you have to adopt that culture you have to understand their procedures methods everything you have to understand so first few years were definitely a challenging years where i had to understand everything but for last uh, many many years i think the environment is very very friendly i really love getting mingled with the mainstream with everybody over there i don't see any racial discriminations to be honest with you i feel uh, currently in fact in my election i'm getting lot more support from the from the majority or i can call it uh, the caucasians afro americans as well as other communities who are supporting me to run for this race and they want me to be successful in this election is there anything else you would like to add i believe uh, my vision is i want to make morrisville town a very very user friendly town just because right now what happens when any new business comes to morrisville they get completely lost because they don't know where to go they keep getting bounced here and there or even if new resident comes and he or she wants to buy a house move into this area if suppose they go to town hall they don't know who to talk so i want to make sure we got get a one stop solution in town hall when anybody whether it's a business or new resident comes to the town hall they should go to that one stop person and that one stop person should help that person to go walk through the entire process there should be a time limit for each process to be completed and it has to be the staff has to be performance based evaluation if uh, if the residents as well as businesses are not getting the service in a timely manner then there has to be accountability i want to improve that accountability do you have like a message that you would like to send out at all thank you for inviting me and listening to me i hope uh, whoever is listening to this interview i would like to encourage them to ask me any questions if there is any way i can help them in improving the process i would love to do that and i would definitely need a support from all the residents in morrisville to to let my dream come true thank you fry on the triangle i'm michaela o'connor Thanks Michaela, a professor in the College of Natural Resources, has started a very special project that seeks to change the way we see tourism. Here's Nick with the story. People First Tourism is an incredibly unique undertaking started and maintained right here at NC State. Duarte Morales is a professor in the College of Natural Resources and his courses focus on tourism and its effects on local communities. After years of research about these effects, he decided to try and make a difference in the tourism industry. We looked at Trader Joe's for example or farmers markets or eBay and I felt that the most effective effort would be to intervene in retail and giving people access to customers because that's what farmers markets are. you can promote uh, local agriculture but if there's no place for them to sell the local produce then those farmers can't do that ebay craigslist those marketplaces have revolutionized microentrepreneurship so all these marketplaces are booming all over society and we decided we would jump on that and come up with something really innovative that would create the space for under-resourced people 
to sell their knowledge, their skills, their stories, their land in terms of visiting their land. And hence, People First Tourism was born. The organization seeks to link specific communities with tourists via an online marketplace. In order for this to happen, communities must be aware of what they can contribute to visitors. There are already several organizations that work on empowering communities in this way, which is known as capacity building. People First Tourism focuses on capacity building here in North Carolina, but aims to connect communities globally. People First Tourism is just ready to be catalyzing the work of all those capacity building organizations at the global scale. And we are going all around the state, visiting with farmers, with craftsmen, with artists, with musicians, and we're empowering them by even just asking them what do they believe in, what do they see, and we have tools on how to manage that, you know, how to get communities to talk about what they hope for themselves, and we have techniques on how to speak with people that are generally silenced. And I've done a lot of research around the world about how the tourism industry does not respond to those voices. The tourism industry is allied with marketing and retail and tourism publications. They're all kind of collaborating with each other to sell more magazines, to sell more hotel stays, you know. And so they make decisions on their own. Unless some organization like us is bringing the voice of these people with cultural capital, of the local people that have local stories and things to share, and they have an opinion about what should be shared and what shouldn't be shared, unless somebody kind of enables them and finds them a place at the table, the decisions are made just kind of on other bases, like market demand. You know, if the industry thinks that tourists want to see ecotourism experiences and nature and birds, that's what's sold. It doesn't matter if the local people have always had a relationship with a certain bird or with a certain tree or they have a connection with it. It doesn't really weigh in. To bridge the gap between communities and tourists, People First Tourism helps develop online profiles for each community, allowing them exposure in this new marketplace. Through the capacity building work in North Carolina, People First Tourism is able to help construct these profiles and give communities a channel for tourism. So what we want to do is to come to these micro-entrepreneurs and ask them, so what kinds of things do you think outsiders would like to learn about you and what kinds of things are you itching to share with outsiders? And then our students go to the field and have those meetings and they co-develop the online profile for these micro-entrepreneurs. So these micro-entrepreneurs often are not really familiar with market demands, so it's really a co-development of the online profile. So if you go to peoplefirsttourism.com, when you read the profile of a pottery workshop in Seagrove, for example, the entrepreneur's name is Bonnie. So Bonnie's description online reflects her own motivations and dreams and also one of our students' understanding of what the city people in North Carolina would like to learn about from her. So it's kind of a co-construction of these narrative that's online. In terms of finding micro-entrepreneurs in North Carolina, students from one of Duarte's classes are assigned this task. Bailey Dudek, one of his students, describes her experiences with this assignment. So when we first got this assignment, I was literally like, what am I going to do? How am I going to find somebody living a marginalized life you know, like how do I, I was thinking, going through and thinking if I knew anybody, um, I couldn't really think up of anybody. So I was sitting in a coffee shop one day and I was doing homework, minding my own business. And this man comes and sits next to me and I could just tell he was just like, 
just going to be a character from the get-go. And so I started talking to him, just like casual conversation. And after just talking for a while, found out that he was a chef, but now he just like works at Harris Teeter and kind of living this life of paycheck to paycheck, not really stable at all economically. And so I got to talking to him and asking him if he was interested in maybe putting his talents and his ideas to create a tourism service and partnering with People First Tourism. Uh, ended up doing my project on him, and he is on People First Tourism right now. So he got accepted as a nomination, which was pretty remarkable. And the other guy I got, I actually browsed through Craigslist for kind of like tourism attraction offers, kind of. And he did a boat tours on Jordan Lake. So I contacted him and set up interviews with him to figure out a service that he could potentially provide for People First Tourism. Kate Van Voorst, another student, found a micro-entrepreneur in a different way. I also, when we first got the assignment, was like, wow. And it's one of those things where at first it's really difficult, but then looking back on it, it's such a good opportunity. Like Bailey's story, it makes you more engaged with the people that are around you and more thinking about those people that live vulnerable lives that we don't necessarily engage with all the time and we definitely don't think about alternative ways that they can be helped because a lot of people don't necessarily want a handout they want a way to make a life for themselves you know and use their talents so the person that I nominated had formerly been my teacher at the Carbro Art Center I took a sewing class there and she taught me sewing and I wasn't really sure the extent to which she would qualify because I knew that she had a very big family and had a lot of kids, which is hard to support, but it's somebody that you already have a rapport with. It's hard to approach them and say, you know, like, do you need help? But then I realized that People First Tourism, this could be an opportunity for them to be more comfortable and use their talents in a way that can benefit other people and benefit them. So I contacted them, and they actually run their homesteaders. And so they live in Hillsborough, near Pittsburgh, I guess, and they run their farm as if it was a turn of the 19th to 20th century farm. So they do things like chair caning and basket weaving and blacksmithing and all these homesteading skills. So it was really interesting to me. You know, I took sewing because nobody in my family ever taught me how to sew and that's a really interesting skill and then I found out that they open their home up to people and teach them all these different things so I thought they were already already had something of a tourism business established but people first tourism is essentially a marketplace for that and so I saw that as an opportunity to help them expand their you know the people that they were reaching and finding micro entrepreneurs isn't the only way students are involved in the program Duarte explains that there are students contributing in nearly every facet of the project. Here at NC State, we have students from many, many majors involved in this. We have students with interest in marketing, they're, they're interns, and all they're doing is trying to get the word out. We have students in computer science who love to develop software, and this is like fertile ground for them to be innovative and think outside the box, and they work into the wee hours to fix bugs and develop the features and some of them are more inclined to the kind of the web user experience of using the website. So they debate on which color tones to use for the website. And 
We have students that just tomorrow, for example, a student from anthropology is heading to the Philippines to develop the pilot network of People First Tourism there. So this summer we had students in India and in Chile and in Guatemala. We trained them here in the rural areas of North Carolina with the field methods that we've developed and that we borrowed and adapted from other projects. And then they are equipped with technology and with those skills, and we send them off around the world to develop these with our partners there. And for the students involved, there are innumerable benefits. Bailey describes how she was affected through her participation. For me, at least, this was probably one of the more impacting classes I've taken all of my college years, and definitely my favorite. And it has so much potential to really change the minds of students and what what we think of as travel tourism. I think it's really common for people to have just this really narrow view of tourism is going to an attraction where everybody serves me and everybody helps me, everyone's catering to my needs, and I'm going to have the most fun. Whereas that there is truth in that. There is so much else that can go on, kind of behind the scenes that people don't realize, which I learned in this class, of how much a tourism business, tourism industry can negatively or positively impact the community that it's in. And there are countries and cities who are, you know, impoverished that if a tourism business comes in, can really pull together the talents, the skills of people in the community. And if you build an industry around those people, it's really going to have a positive impact rather than just, okay, how can we best get people over here to see whatever we have to offer. But let's do that in a way that really builds up the community and doesn't hurt the community. And so I think this class has potential to really change minds of how are we going to travel? What types of attractions do we want to put our money in? And also it's exposing people to people first tourism. And if more students are getting nominations, obviously people first tourism is going to grow which is a great thing. And the more students are exposed to people first tourism, the more that the more it's going to be on their mind. I know for me, even like, like every now and then I'll even just get on the website to see what are the services they're providing right now, you know, and what sounds fun because it's something that I care about and it's something that's making a difference in the world. And it's not just about having the best time. I think that for me, this class was a great bridge between what I at least claim to believe in my personal life, believe in sustainability and trying to conserve our resources and do things in a way that empowers people rather than exploiting them and connect it with what I want to do, which is work in the tourism industry. And I think that there has been that we've seen even in our community in Raleigh and more widely in North Carolina, if you think of that as our community, there's a big push and there's pushes in communities all over the the nation and throughout the world right now to be more sustainable. And I think that that is like a very broad term. It's a big buzzword and people don't always necessarily know what that means and what it means when it applies to different things. A lot of the people that I know associate sustainability with going to the farmer's market. Know where your food comes from, you know. And I think that that's great environmentally and agriculturally. Sustainability is very important. 
But sustainability is something that pervades every aspect of your life. It, it can if you allow it and you search out ways to do it. And when you take a vacation, you shouldn't be taking a vacation from your morals and your convictions. So if you're taking a vacation, think about how you're spending money and is the things that you're spending money on supporting the things that you truly believe. And so, you know, what People First Tourism is trying to do is to provide people with the opportunity to do that and provide people to know how to start doing that. So I think that it's a great resource and it's something for people to really consider. Just think about what is valuable to you and then think about how you can do that in the ways that you aren't already doing it. Maybe you you try to keep your food, money, local, and when you buy clothing, you try not to buy it from sweatshop labor. Well, people that work in the tourism industry are just as exploited as people in those other industries. And so really do your research and really know where your services are coming from as well. Students that want to help out People First Tourism should visit the website, that's peoplefirsttourism.com, and be sure to like them on Facebook. For those interested in getting involved, email info at peoplefirsttourism.com. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. And now, here are the ha- campus happenings for the next week. Here's what's going on at NC State. Wednesday, October 23rd is the opening of the new Tally Student Union. It will be open from 4 p.m. to midnight with regular hours beginning on Thursday. Visit go.ncsu.edu slash tallystudentunion for more information. Also tomorrow is the free screening of the film Chasing Ice at the Campus Cinema. The movie documents the story of a National Geographic photographer's mission to gather evidence of climate change. The event is open to the public and begins at 6 p.m. Following the film will be a panel discussion with NC State professors. Thursday evening, NCSU Center Stage presents The Adventures of Alvin Sputnik, Deep Sea Explorer. The show employs a charming and highly imaginative blend of storytelling, puppetry, music, animation, and humor to present an exploration of the next and oldest frontier, the Deep Blue Sea. The show starts in Thompson Hall at 8 p.m. and runs throughout the weekend. On Friday, WKNC presents the next installment of Fridays on the Lawn, our free outdoor concert series. This Friday's show features Lomelands and Mount Moriah's Heather McIntyre. Come out for free food, prizes, giveaways, and great live music. Saturday is the Raleigh Dream Mile 5K Walk Run, which seeks to increase awareness about the plight of underprivileged children in our country. The event is from 8.30 a.m. to noon, and more information can be found at thedreammile.org slash Raleigh. Sunday is the kickoff for NC State's homecoming celebrations on Miller Field from 2 to 4.30 p.m. The event will include food, giveaways, homecoming t-shirts, and much more. Come on out and get ready for a week of homecoming events. Next Monday is the Global Issues Seminar that will focus on water security on a global scale. NC State experts will discuss what the university is contributing in terms of teaching, research, and other areas from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. in Withers Hall. This weekend at the Campus Cinema, the movies White House Down, The Heat, and Space Jam will be showing. Check online for times. For more information on these events and more, go to ncsu.edu slash calendar. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage.
And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org, where you can also download our podcast. Well, that's all we have for now. Be sure to tune in next week for the next in Sydney's discussion with Kat from The Voice. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Andrew Eichen. And I'm Nick Savage. Good night.